Thank you, Barbara. That was beautiful. A reading from Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Thank you, Connie. Well, last week, we were looking at the idea of uh, whether the universe was a friendly place or not. And I suggested that actually this was the wrong question. And the right question was more likely, what relationship do we have with the universe? What relationship do we have with the universe? And, you know, the answer in nearly all the world religions is that you and the universe are one. The idea that there is one reality, that what we see supposedly, what we see out there, is actually connected and a part of what we feel and experience in here. There is a fundamental connectivity between the two. And rather than us being separate from the universe and having to decide how we cope with it, we are in fact all one being. Now, in spiritual and religious terms, this is known as non-duality, which literally means not two. There's no, no separation between things. You know, in Christian terms, we refer to that as being the body of Christ, that oneness. In Taoism, it is being at one with the great Tao and so on. You can find it in all the big world religions. The idea that we're not relating to other but we are, in fact, in relation to the universe, relating to a part of our very selves. That when I look out here, I may see a hundred different faces as I look out. But in reality, there is only one face. And we're all looking from the same place in each other. There's only one face and we're all looking from the same place in each other. It is one of those, you know concepts, this whole oneness thing that's banded around in spiritual and religious circles. And someone once said to me, when, when I asked them, you know, what, what, what's it all about, this sort of spirituality? They said to me, well, you are in everything and everything is in you. And at the time, it didn't really make much sense. It does now a bit more. 
And I'm sure that most of us have come across the idea of that oneness in one form or another. When people have a a traditional experience of enlightenment, this is the understanding that they normally come away with, that they're part of something immensely greater than themselves, that they're part of a greater consciousness. This is the sort of things you read about and hear about. And everything their senses tell them is that all they see and hear is part of the same oneness. You know, in Christian terms, you can see it directly in the whole experience of the transfiguration. You know, this experience occurs everywhere when people start talking about it, that everything is one, and that everything is infused by an ultimately loving and perfecting consciousness. That we're all infused by a loving and perfecting consciousness. You know, as Julian Norris says, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. But the really big question is, you know, how do you relate to that in everyday life? You know, our perception is that everything is separate. And therefore, we need to deal with each other and each thing as it comes along from our own perspective. We have to deal with things from our own perspective as to how they're going to affect us. You know, we see bad things coming our way and we try to avoid them. And we see good things coming our way and we try to embrace them. You know, we take events and people as they come towards us. They're separate from us in our own understanding and we use our understanding and experience to decide how we relate to them. We think of the effects that we may have on them and they may have on us. We then strategize and we work out our place in the world in relationship to everything else. And then we operate to what we think will be to the greatest possible advantage. That's how we generally operate. But if we're all connected, and if we're all one, you know, that should make a big difference, actually, to the way that we act out in everyday life. You know, think of the way you look at your body, you know, your hands, your arms, your torso. You know, think of the relationship that you have with your hands, or your arms, or your torso. You know, think of how you treat your own body. Well, if we're all one, and we're being asked to treat everything out there as if it were part of ourselves, you know, that makes it different. That's like, you know, your hand. You know, how, how can that even work in everyday life? You know, we can see one insight that I think is really helpful in the Tao Te Ching. In the Tao, it says that the master thinks of his enemy as the shadow that he himself casts. He thinks of his enemy as the shadow that he himself casts. So as you look out, rather than your enemy being the one who is opposing you, that you have to resist, that train of thought looks out and says that your enemy is your shadow, that he is the darkness that you were in fact casting on the world. And therefore, the way that you deal with your enemy is to deal with that aspect in yourself that is casting the darkness. And I think that gives us a hint as to the different way we approach things. If we look at the reality of everything being one, the attention is therefore on ourselves when we think of dealing what is out there. We have to start to think about what's going on in here when we think of how to deal with out there. We're being asked to see all that's happening out there as being, in fact, a part of ourselves. Now, we know this on a big level. You know, the idea that countries 
you know, countries get the governments that they deserve. And that all individual votes go up to make up the result. And you can see that connectedness. That in some way, the good and evil that happen in the world is a function of the good and the evil that happen in our hearts. That just as the ocean, the whole ocean exists in a single drop of water, so all humanity exists in a single soul. But again, you know, this is abstract. You know, how does one relate to the world from a perspective that we're all one? Well, I think, you know, to begin with, that reading really does help us in that. You know, when you do as much to them as you did, you, know, you do it also to me. When you do this to them, you do it also to me, Jesus said. When you do either good or evil in the world, you are, in fact, doing it to yourself. If you attack someone, it's like attacking your own body. You don't attack your body. You don't attack your hand, unless there's some form of insanity going on. It's unhealthy. And actually, that's where the word insanity comes from. Insanus. Sanus is health. Unhealthy. Insanus. That's what it means. It's unhealthy. And in the same way, attacking, attacking what's out there is unhealthy. You don't attack your body unless there is some unhealthiness. It fundamentally it goes against the natural order. And that's why violence creates violence. You know, to attack out is to put more violence into the world, a violence that does harm to the world and to ourselves. It's a very different outlook to deal with the world as if we're fundamentally one, rather than as separate entities. It is a different way of of approaching life. And what it requires is for us to include ourselves within the equation when we're considering it. We have to think of the effect that we're having and how we will affect things by our actions. We also have to consider that the circumstances that we're involved in may in some way be intimately connected to who we are. We have to realize that like in quantum mechanics, we, the participants in our lives, affect the overall outcomes of what's going on out there by the way that we act and behave, because we're intimately involved. And also we have to be aware of the parameters that are in play and the consequences of our action or non-action. You know, now all that may be a lot to try and work out as we try to get the children to do their homework or we try to pay off the mortgage. But it's not something that the mind, you know, really, if you try and work it out, the mind can't readily compute it or, or even act on it. The mind, by its very nature and by its purpose, has to work out how to survive in life. And therefore, the mind creates the illusion of separation. The mind has evidence that we're separate. Our minds, our rational minds, has evidence that we're separate. The senses tell us so. And as a result, all its actions are based on surviving as a separate unit. Now, rather than the mind, it is the action of love that's required to live life in that understanding. That if we're all of the same being, that the way that we relate to that really has to come from the heart. It has to be a loving action. You can't really work it out. It's the heart that can recognize, you know, the heart is the one that recognizes wonder. That's not a rational thing. Or beauty, or love. You know, those are the, the times when the universe sends us messages of our connectedness, the times when we're touched by what we feel, see, hear, and taste in an 
you know, it's the heart that feels that. It is not a rational thing. And in the same way, the place that we navigate this oneness is from the heart. Because the universe, I would suggest, is held together by what we call love. You know, in the Bible it says that God is love. The universe is held together by love. A self-giving abundance that brings everything and us into being and to which we relate through love. Like in that first song, we are relating through love. But once again, I just, you know, I want to give a a caveat to this, which is to say our minds do have a purpose. And that purpose is to help us stay alive, to stay healthy, and to stay in the game so that we can approach our lives from a loving stance. So we have to use our minds to, to get ourselves into the place where we can love. You know, we have to use our minds to get, out, get ourselves out of abusive and unjust situations. History is the story of the mind realizing how to free itself from oppression and captivity to get to a point where it can recognize love and be a part of it. That is a journey that the mind takes, and it gets to the point where it recognizes the requirement to love. And we're lucky here to be in a safe place to be able to, to think about these things and to work on them. But there are people who still need to fight their way out of oppression. So this isn't really just some lovey-dovey approach. It's, I think it's a mature reflection on the nature of reality that's informed by some of the greatest practitioners in the world. You know, people like Jesus, Lao Tzu, Muhammad, Buddha. Their reflection comes to this oneness that we're talking about now. Once we're free to see the reality of life, we can see that the way of transformation is to realize that we're one with the universe and act out of that reality. That is the path of transformation. That is the path forward. And you don't have to be in in the rarefied atmosphere of Aspen or a monastery to live in that way. I mean, look at Gandhi's nonviolence. Look at Martin Luther King. Look at Nelson Mandela. There is a fundamental understanding of the oneness and why violence doesn't work within those teachings. The good of the whole was more important than violence and rage. So to respond to the universe out of an understanding that we're actually one with everything else is to respond out of love. It is a true loving response. And that's where the idea of friendship comes from. Because the root word of, of friendship is the, is the German word friend and the Dutch word v-r-i-e-n-d, which actually comes to the Indian root meaning of the word to love. So the essence of friendship is loving. Friendship is a function of love. And therefore, we have to respond to the universe out of friendship with it. So it's not, is the universe a friendly place? It's, are we willing to be in loving, in friendship with the universe, even if we don't feel that friendship is coming our way? You know, as we are the conscious part of the universe, and it is we who have to respond in love, we have to be friend, the friendly part of the universe. And that can be difficult. You know, when hurtful things come our way, the natural response is to close up, to blame and to defend, to point out faults, to complain, to have judgments, all of which goes to reinforce the illusion of separation. We have to act out of a way that's congruent with taking responsibility for our oneness with the universe. And and that's all about relationship. You know, the the realisation that our job 
is to cultivate a sensitive and rewarding relationship with the universe. And, you know, that is, I've always used it before, Rowan Williams' definition of spirituality, which is the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. So spirituality is, in fact, the process by which we recognize that we're one with the universe and act accordingly. That is the purpose of spirituality. It is the working out that we are the process of working out the cultivation of a sensitive and rewarding relationship with eternal truth and love. We have to cultivate that relationship with the universe sensitively and it will reward us. Which means not always charging ahead, thinking we're right about what's going on or right about the universe. Because if we're not in the business of cultivating that relationship, we can get very frustrated when it comes back to us, when it, when it starts to hurt us. And that lovely quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson, that the, the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. It doesn't have to explain itself to you. And we get really annoyed with that, that the universe doesn't explain why I've got, you know, an illness or why, you know. But if you're cultivating your relationship with the universe, then you take the hurt with a new understanding. You have to roll with it, knowing that there is more to come, that we have a responsibility for what that more might be. We're part of it. That lovely, again, phrase from the Tao Te Ching. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. That is the essence of relating to the universe as part of ourselves. When something comes up, you respond as best and as consciously as you can in the moment. And that can be challenging, especially when there's hurt involved. But once you've done that, you have to step back and be ready to listen for what comes next, knowing that we have a responsibility for what's coming our way, because we're dealing with another part of ourselves. We wait and we see, and then we, we respond with compassion. We have to take responsibility for our projections onto other people and onto circumstances. And we have to respond with compassion. We have to respond without blame, without judgment, without complaining. Because the blame and the judgment and complaining come from us saying, it's Bibi's fault. It's her fault. It's your fault. I'm feeling this because of what you are doing to me. That is the separateness. But to operate out of compassion, you take responsibility for your feelings and hurts and the judgments you have on other people. And you operate with compassion. Now, I know that sounds like Looney Tunes to most of us who are just trying to get through the day and stay above ground. Uh, you know, what possible gain could there be from coming from this stance? If you don't defend yourself and stick up for what's right, then the universe is going to come and roll right over you. And that's possibly true. You know, experience does tell us we have to look out for ourselves first and then we have to look out for others from a position of strength. You know, that whole argument. But you have to ask yourself, you know, what if it were true? What if we were all one? What if there was a fundamental connectedness? What if that actually was the reality of the situation? 
What if that were the case, that your enemy was in fact the shadow of yourself coming to haunt you? What if there were different laws that came into play when you acted out of that perspective? This is the perspective, really, of the great teachers. You, you know, we see it in many of us. You know, many of us acknowledge the perspective. The problem is, it's too hard to put into practice. We don't know how to do it. And the easy solution is just to keep going the way you've always behaved, because that's what's worked in the past, and we're still above ground, and we seem to be okay. Well, the actual reality is, it is not working now. And it's never worked in the past either. But again, we didn't know any better then. And to some extent, we still don't know any better. But when you look at the increasingly adversarial nature of life, we can clearly see that there's got to be a better way. When you look at the adversarial nature of life, you can clearly see that there's got to be a better way. And unless humanity discovers that better way, it will end in tears before tea time, as we say in England. And that better way is a realization of the relationship we have with the universe and we, with each other. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? I tell you, whatever you did for one of these least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. It is the golden rule through all religions. Do unto others as you would have done to yourself. It is a radical stance that affects every moment of our day-to-day living. Every moment. Our relationship with our partner, with our family, with our friends, our work, our work colleagues, our community, the government, the IRS. Everything, including the weather and meteors from outer space. It is an all-encompassing perspective that demands to be lived by, even if others are not living by it too, because you living by it will affect the way others act in the long term. You living by it will affect the way others act. And it starts now. You know, being in friendship with me. Loving me, even though I might be going on too long. I've only got four pages to go. No, no, I'm, I'm on my last paragraph. It affects your relationship to the offertory and your giving, to the way you react to Aspen noise, to the way you leave this place, to the way you interact with people at the reception, if you go, and the way that you treat you know, a driver that cuts you up on your way home. The demand is to live through that compassion. All of it has to be framed by your friendship with the universe, your love of it, with Brother Sun and Sister Moon, as St. Francis put it. Whether humanity yet knows it or not, we will have to collectively move to this way of thinking in order to survive. It is the next level of consciousness. And from this perspective, we would have the opportunity of working with the universe to make the world and everything in it a better place for everyone. Amen. Let's pray. We just do think of our lives. We just think of the way that we, all of us, blame, complain, make it everybody else's fault, being separate, unfair, 
Our responsibility is to those judgments that we have, those projections that we have, to operate with compassion to people. We pray that we may be able to transform our relationship with our lives and the world. We pray our world leaders may be able to do that. We pray that people in difficult situations may be able to do that. We pray for a release from conflict, from separateness, from war, from difficulty. We pray we may be a part of that solution. We do pray for all those in our community that are in difficulty at the moment. We pray for Patricia Hill, for Father Joseph Boyle, for Martha Martin, for Sophie Layton, for the family of Paul Mayer, family of Kathy Langford, and the family and friends of Bill Forrest. Lord, we ask your healing and holy power to be with all those people. Amen.